Welcome to Budo, the Way of the Warrior podcast. This podcast is a collection of historical and philosophical references, contemplations, lectures, and exchanges with David M. Valadez, his students, and guests. Podcasts are recorded on the mat at the Ascension Center in Southern California and in studio. These podcasts are provided to cultivate the warrior on the way and to add light to their path. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's podcast. This week we're in studio, and it's going to be the first episode in which we received a question via one of our social media outlets, in this case, our Facebook page. But it's a common question. It's one definitely that my own Deshi wonder about and bring up, and it's definitely one that everyone should consider if they're on this Budo path or even at a mundane level if they're just wishing to pursue Aikido as a martial art or even as an art in general, whatever that might mean. I'm going to give this caveat up front again. Remember, having once been an academic, I am very cautious and very much against any kind of paralysis of analysis. I will use theory and philosophy up to the point where they become anti-practical, which is a whole other level below impractical. So I'm only interested in language and thus in terms and only insofar as they help me and help my deshi actually be able to put things into action and to bring into the realm of being and moving beyond merely the realm of thought or thinking or the aspect of our intellect. So I'll start out with some words that I use to explain it, but as I tell my deshi, um, it'll be a mistake to get trapped in these words, and if new words come about, I'm perfectly fine with it, as long as the doing of these things remains present. So the question I received is, what is center power um, there's many different ways this question is expressed. How do you use your tanden? What is hara? Um, even when we give them as directives, use your center. Everyone in Aikido says this, and you can almost answer any question. If it's a, if it's a question or a query regarding why didn't this work, someone can always go, I didn't use my center, and... Somehow that suffices. Obviously, for me, I think that pause was telling. It does not suffice. And then the supplemental question to this one was, how do you get your center stronger? Which, of course, is always the assumption in the first question. Is it, it starts out always as a practical aim. How do I use it? And how do I get it to a level where it's actually usable? And that question is very interesting to me because that's a practical question and not a theoretical one. It's not purely philosophical. It's not academic. So we can start there. Um, but if we find ourselves in an ivory tower sitting in an armchair, and we're just talking to other people who are also in that ivory tower with us and sitting in their own armchair, then we need to tell ourselves to fuck off and get back on the mat and make sure we put things into practice. That we're dealing with verbs and actions, the ING of living, that we're in the present participle of life and that our art manifests itself there knowing that if it doesn't, then we have and likely are wasting our time. Again, that might not be your way, and that's perfectly fine. 
for you. The answer I gave was a kind of short message. There was some language barrier. The person writing was from Iran, and it looked like English was was a uh, second language. Um, I kind of gave just the traditional answer at first, which is... Um, The means by which center is developed is in Aikido in Japanese is kokyu hole. So drills or means meant to develop kokyu. Obviously, well, that first question is what the hell is kokyu? Well, let's wait on that one. And then the development of this kokyu by those means is measured in applicability and generally thereby measured in terms of power. And so one does kokyu ho, the various drills meant to cultivate kokyu for the sake of developing kokyu ryoku, kokyu power. And the traditional means or let's just say, let's skip that word, that's probably going to be problematic. Not the traditional means, let's say the historical means. So the Aikido historical means by which Kokyu Ryoku is developed is going to be, it's in the Waza and it's in various exercises such as Shomen Tsuburi. I gave a caveat or an additional idea by which to balance this first answer, and it was the following. Kokyu Ryoku, in its measurement of power, is doing so in terms of its applicability. And when you get to applicability, you're also talking about a kind of awareness of center or an awareness of kokyu and then a coordination, which is at least at a minimum physiological. Let's say here it's psychophysiological such that the more we become aware of it, the more coordinated we become in its utilization and therefore the more places where we're able to apply it and manifest the skill such that one would say it is present and it is meeting the requirement or the measurement or the metric of being powerful. And once one develops a kind of awareness and a kind of coordination, then one can actually go on to develop kokyu-ryoku through all kinds of exercises. One adds more than just waza and shomen sabudi to the category of kokyu-ho. One may discover more traditional exercises to develop kokyu-ryoku. One may rediscover exercises practiced in other arts, let's say Chinese internal martial arts. And one may even develop kokyu-ryoku through this awareness and coordination through contemporary or modern exercises, weightlifting, various gymnastic exercises, any place where you have some sort of stressor that you can apply to your tanden and thereby generate the adaptation of power or strength to that area. I would go so far as to say that Kokyu Ho whether it be Kokyudosa or Shomen Tsuburi or whether it be the entire lexicon of Akito Waza 
in their assumption that they are actually a means for developing kokyu, they hold that the deshi will at some point gain this awareness and this coordination. And I would go one step further in that should the deshi not develop this awareness and this coordination, the same one that they could go on to use to have modern exercises become kokyuho and or that would motivate them to investigate into how other martial arts might develop something akin to kokyu, that should the student not develop that awareness and that coordination, those very historically accepted means of developing kokyu-ryokyu are actually quite impotent. That makes this awareness and this coordination not supplemental to the development of kokyu power or center development, but actually a prerequisite for these things. I think this is why you can see people who have swung Pokken thousands of times, even hundreds of thousands of times, and you would say, undoubtedly, they have made themselves strong, perhaps in their forearms, in their grips, in their lats, in their shoulders, the biceps, but this is not kokyu-ryoku. Meaning it is very possible to lift a lever having some sort of weight, in this case a bulkhead, repeatedly up and down and have it not be kokyu-ho. That the deshi must discover this awareness and this coordination by which they can move that same lever in such a way that it is developing kokyu-ryoku. This is quite a problem. I see this on my mat all the time. And much of the training then is not just a repetition of Shoman Subudi, but in fact the utilization of various additional exercises and or micro drills taken out of Kokyuho exercises by which a student can stop doing just swinging the sword up and down, swinging the bokken up and down, but to actually gain this awareness and this coordination and to thereby have that exercise of Shoman Subudi actually be a kind of Kokyuho. And even then, with all that effort, and all these strategic manipulations of the learning environment by which the student is more likely than less likely to gain said awareness and said coordination, there still remains quite a large chance that they won't. I don't think that should shock us, although I think it does. I think there's a great many of us out there who, like I said, do thousands to tens of thousands to hundreds of thousands of rep. Let's just stick with this Kokyuho exercise of Shomen Subudi. They swing that boken tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of reps, and they do get strong, and they are able to put that physical strength into their various kihon waza. And thereby, they do see a benefit to it. In the sense that it assists them in achieving the end they seek.
which is often going to be a superficial or a mundane end, let's say it's the pinning of uke. Well, the stronger nage is going to be able to pin an uke who's, who has, via their strength, a smaller mechanical output. The mechanical advantage is going to rest with the larger or more powerful nage. And Shoman Sabudi did make them stronger, and therefore that exercise did add to their success. The question that is begged, however, seems twofold, but is actually one and the same. It is, is the ideals of the art satisfied solely by the pinning of that uke? And two, are the ideals of the art satisfied by the pinning of that uke via a mechanical advantage that is generated from strength, physiological strength? I think in both cases the answer is no. So you can ask a third question. Does that pattern represent the best nage that nage can be? And again, the answer is no. So one should go on questing. One should go on looking for a means by which to cultivate, generate, stumble upon this awareness and this coordination by which they become not only able to cultivate kokyu power, but to do so by almost any means. So we're going to have to get into words now. If you've been following the podcast you know, I was a historian, and you probably guessed that I specialized in Japanese religious culture and also the post-structuralist methodologies, including the history of thought. So you can't just look up the word, kokyu, oh, breath, oh, got it, breath power. Let's just eat a bunch of garlic. No. These words come out of a different epistemology, and we are not by default open to its reason. Again, we don't need to write the history of these words or of the art to be able to practice the art. We don't even need to know these words to tell you the truth, but we're going to have to do much more than record a voice and listen to one. But since we are operating with this medium, let's point out that this epistemology in which these words were utilized use them in a way that we would describe them as negative concepts. Meaning they don't point so much to what they are. Let's call that a positive concept. But rather they are a reserving of language for some aspect or some component wherein everything that did not have to do with it was already defined by other words. They point to 
for example, these words like kokyu or even chi, they point to things that ancient human beings knew existed, but they knew they existed by looking at them from one side of the mirror. I'll give you an example, a modern example. When I started the study of religion, my area, as I said, was East Asia. But in the doctorate program, you have to kind of have a base in the field. And I found myself having to take the history of Christianity classes. And there they talk about a, a Q text. And I felt like I, as anyone would, this is not my field, I felt like I walked into a, a century-old discussion. And this was due to my inexperience in the field, I kept looking for a Q text, a text named Q. And they used it every time they were talking about the Gospels. There was a Q text. They would reference this Q. And you couldn't find it. I couldn't find it by the usual means. Like, I'm going to look for this book. I'm going to find out who was the author. When did it exist? And the Q text actually means the exact opposite of that. What they were referring to is that by looking at the Gospels themselves, they knew that they had some sort of source that they were referring to. Based upon an analysis of what was there in the text, they could tell by the text in front of them that there was another text that they did not have in front of them. And that was the cue. That's a negative concept. In a way very similar to this, this is what chi and kokyu, ki, this is what those words mean. By the things that they saw in front of them, they knew there was this other thing that was not in front of them. And they knew it was real because if, if it did not exist, they would not have the things in front of them that they do know are real. And equally, they knew it preceded and even carried within it some sort of power of Genesis and so they gave it primacy and in a way due to it being more difficult to touch and more invisible to the eye and more subtle to our minds quite contrary to how modern man thinks that thing that was beyond the visible and the tangible and the knowable was considered more real and more important. So we have to, in our discussion of what is kokyu, what is center, how do you develop it, what do we mean by that, what is power, etc., we, we will easily run aground because we're using language to point to something that is a negative concept. The fact that we cannot speak about it or even that our language ends up contradicting itself, one, should be expected, but two, in no way means that what we're talking about, what we're trying to get at is not real, not important, and not primary. It is. 
So go back to my first caveat. If you really want to learn this, the traditional way was not let's talk about it, let's study it, let's define our terms, let's develop a lexicon, and let's practice nomenclature. In fact, the traditional way would tell you that is exactly how you need to act to go, to, go astray and to never find it. The traditional way is get with somebody who has the skill set and hang out with them until you have it too. So probably if I was really honest with this kind person who took the time to write this question, I would have just said, come train with me. But let's go into it anyway for shits and giggles, as I like to say. Let's, let's talk a bit on its importance. I do think that all of Aikido's kihonwaza assume a certain power level output by the nage. Now, of course, this is relative to the task at hand. Let's take an obvious generic task, which is the manipulation of the mass of uke. Well, what I'm trying to say is a technique such as ikkyo requires, let's say, an X power output in relation to the desire to manipulate the mass of uke. And all the techniques have this. It feels like it's all about the same. Meaning, it seems like, it feels like the value is the same. The generation of this energy or this power feels the same amount of effort. On the one hand, for somebody who has kokuryoku, it feels quite low. But for someone who does not, it is much higher than they think. A simple experiment in this is try try ikkyo on, well, we have to go back. There's so much collusion today in the uh, nage-uke dynamic, but... Um, See if you can, for the sake of experiment, have an uke friend, friend enough with you that you could actually request of them a sincere presence of their mass and wait. You don't even need them to struggle against you. You just need them not to act like a dressage pony. Not to give you the technique because they're off doing their own choreography. See if you have a good enough friend to not do that. Someone who cares enough about you to not do that. And make that person an adult. And now run the experiment. Try to be mindful of what it feels like, how much energy it's taking. 
look for all the ways where your balance might have been disturbed, your rhythm might have to stall or wait as it requires weight to shift. And even whether the technique concluded in the way as prescribed by Kihon. Now, run another experiment, also hopefully with somebody capable of sincerity and with enough intimacy and care for your welfare, that they could also manifest nothing more than an honest presence of their own matter and weight, but have it be a child. Somebody you weigh significantly more. Do the same technique. What you will notice is the technique will function more easily Colloquially, it'll function better on the child. And what you're seeing here is that as the force requirement goes down due to the weight decreasing and moving from the adult to the child, that the force requirement for you as Naga also goes down and therefore your potential force output is likely much higher than the force requirement in the child rep of Ikkyo. All right, this is telling you something. You could do it the other way. You could have an, an adult Uke your size and then pick the biggest person, the biggest, strongest, heaviest person, and you'll see the difference. And what I put before you is that what you're seeing is that your force potential your individual force potential is dependent on the weight of your uke closer or further to the force requirement assumed within the ikkyo tactical architecture. Most of the time, most of us are operating with no clue that we have a force potential and that the technique architecturally has already an assumed force requirement. It's because the arts are not sold this way. The arts are sold as arts, they're packaged deals, and the delusion is bought that the art makes fighters and so the techniques make fighting. And all you have to do as a practitioner is ikkyo, and ikkyo is going to work. And this is just not true. If it was true, I guarantee you, we would not have the problem of dressage ponies and choreographed ukemi like we do today. The choreographed uke, the, the uke who gives every single technique to nage, is a product of countless people that make up the masses of the art being incapable of generating within them the force requirement of the tactical architectures. Incapable of raising their force potential to the force requirement. And so what people have done is they have manipulated the force requirement by having uke act in a way so that it's lowered and so that it meets whatever force potential a given naga has. We've gone ass backwards. This is why when other arts look at Aikido, they, they have the opinion that Uke throws themselves. 
they can't they just can't put it into words they can't say oh look uke has taken enough mass and matter out of the equation such that the force potential of this nage is sufficient as a force requirement for that tactical architecture but that's what's happening And rightly, the charge of impractical is made because there's an, there's an inauthentic vein that runs through all of that. And it's not just a martial one. That process... covers up some real problems with integrity and sincerity. And once you have those problems, you've made some real obstacles towards any of the goals that any of the Aikido lineages claim to hold, whether it be martial or spiritual, whether it be a matter of awakening or even a matter of just pure exercise. Because imagine if you wanted to do a bench press, but as you go to lift the bar, somehow weights just fall off of it. You're not even going to achieve that mundane interest with developing your pectorals. And it just gets worse when your ideals are awakening, for example. Because there is no awakening outside of sincerity and integrity. And if there is, you shouldn't want it. So, I think every practitioner should try to understand that the quest for Kokyuryoku is, at a minimum, the effort to meet these force requirements. And from that point of view, we can understand it as force, and so we can understand it as the application of energy to overcome a resistance. But this is an art from a culture that was applying the truth of yin and yang concentrically, and so you cannot just stop there. Because if kokyu is this, then it is a yang, and if it is a yang, then there has to be a yin to it. But before we go there, let's, let's talk about, let's go back to the Shoman Subhuti exercise and let's again note that someone can do it and can get stronger and can bring that strength into their kihon waza and thereby come to meet these force requirements of the given tactical architectures of the Aikido kihon curriculum. No doubt. Totally true, totally possible. But is it Kokyu? I would say no. Here's why. The first thing, though, you don't want to say, I don't think it helps us to say that that muscle development, that strength application is inefficient and it does not work. Well, let's put that one. 
We don't want to say it does not work. It does work. If you are strong enough, you have a lever, you have a fulcrum, you can get it to work. The force equation will remain the same. Mass times acceleration equals force. Okay, you are increasing mass, or through your strength, you are increasing your acceleration. It's going to achieve its end if where you're applying force is of such a nature that it will succumb to that force. So the difference between kokyuryoku and just muscle strength isn't necessarily workability. If you're strong and fast and you punch someone in the head, they're going to feel it as long as their matter generates a force at which yours can overcome it. I don't think the traditional arts were interested in kokyuryoku because it was the only way. to solve these force equations. I also think there's a limit even when we want to say, well, it's true, there are multiple ways of solving force equations, but Kokuryoku is more efficient. I would say yes, for the most part, it is more efficient. It is more efficient in the sense that it requires less energy output on our part. But if efficiency is looked at only in terms of outcome, then maybe, maybe not. So if we speak of efficiency, we're talking about energy output. How much force am I generating in light of how much energy is it costing me to generate that force? That's important. And so that might be one of the reasons why we should be motivated away from just swinging a wood stick over our head and down when it's only making us stronger and we should quest after this awareness and this coordination of kokyu, of using our center, so to speak. We're going to become more efficient. And so that can be a marker of distinction. We can watch a person doing ikkyo and we can see them, well, they are generating the required force output, but it looks like it's costing them more energy to do so. Yes, that's true. That's going to happen. We're going to see that. But we're going to see something else that I, that I have observed over the years of trying to get people to do this. Um, you're going to see a lot of things. I'm just going to give you two, which are very important. The first one is um, an application of hara or a utilization of kokyuryoku will not pin the nage. Many, many times, almost always, when a nage is generating the required force output of a given tactical architecture because they're not generating force in this way and they are instead generating it through an external application or via a muscle isolation Naga ends up pinning him or herself the technique ends up developing a kind of staccato-like rhythm to it 
Now, if you go backwards and you go, hmm, let me see if my own technique has this pausing, this stopping, this staccato-like rhythm. And you look and you, or you look online and you see who has that, who's stopping. You might see not many, but you have to first ask, are you looking at a case where the uke is lowering the force requirement by taking their mass and weight out of the technique. So you have to always assume that you're just you're dealing with just the raw modern weight of uke, that there is no manipulation of the given force that is generated simply by their presence and the assigned task. Let's say the assigned task might be like, in this case, okay, you're pushing. In this case, okay, you're pulling. In this case, you're doing a wrist grab. In this case, you're doing shomanuchi. And then they do nothing else. They don't overextend. They don't fly three feet past Nage. They don't run around. They don't come back up like idiots. And they don't turn their bodies into rolls and falls and high break falls. That just like judo, when you get grabbed, you don't do anything. And you are flipped or you're not flipped. If you have one of those ukes, you can now look and see if Nage is able to continue moving. Or if they are being pinned. Are they requiring bracing angles? And is the manipulation of uke's mass being generated through a force that requires bracing angles? And if you do, then you're probably seeing just a stronger, a stronger nage. You're seeing a perfectly legitimate force output meeting the force requirement. It's legitimate in terms of that, that mathematical equation, but in terms of tactics, it's not as legitimate. Because mobility is king in a fight where, for example, weapons are present and or where the opponent is bigger and stronger than you. So you're going to have a very good interest in how do I meet the force requirement of Aikido Kihon tactical architecture while maintaining mobility. And if you're interested in that, then you're going to be interested in this. And it's not, you're you're going to have this double interest at least now. You're going to be interested in the, an economy of energy output and you're going to be interested in this presence of mobility. And those two things are just not there when your shoman sabuti just works on making you stronger. I'm going to give you two more things. This is kind of like a, a half point. The other thing you'll see is, let me, no, actually, let me give it to you at the end. So as kokyu is a yang aspect, and there's going to be a yin aspect, and that yin aspect comes about from the same means by which you are practicing this coordination. 
So that is, let's, let's go into that. What is this coordination? It is an organization of particular aspects of ourselves. That includes timing, movement, matter, intention, breath, will, and muscle, and bone, and energy. Wherein this is all organized in such a way that you are generating a force output, but not by all the visible and knowable and touchable means that we know exist. As I said, Koku is a negative concept. So if you swing and you lean into something, you swing your right cross you, and you turn your hips and you lower your center and you wind your arm up and you rotate your shoulders, I can see where the force is being generated. And let's say you have a force output of 10. Now what the ancients saw is that somebody could get that same 10 and they're not demonstrating all of these other things. And you go, well, I can see the 10 force output and I can see it's not the other things. So I'm going to give it a negative concept. It's chi. It's key. It's kokyu. Remember, the ancient man was more interested in practical things than we were. So their texts are constantly loaded with the warnings. Like, even if you understand this intellectually, it doesn't mean you can do it. And their heroes in their folk tales were always the person who didn't understand it but could do it. And we can't dismiss those things. You might want to go, no, no, no. I want to know what it is and and how it works because now it's too mystical and I can't, I can't, understand it so then it must not be real again that's not really how you solve the problem if you want to really learn it you got to go and meet somebody who can do it and then you hang out with them and they teach you which is why the mentor disciple pedagogy was invented by these people It's also why today in our own contemporary societies, we don't really have it. It's very, very specialized arenas only where you actually have a mentor and an apprentice system working anymore. Because we have prioritized language And we have fooled ourselves into thinking that if we understand something intellectually, that we can do it. How else do you have all these certification courses where you can be certified in nearly anything over a weekend or 40 hours? How can you even explain the seminar model without that? By ancient man's standards, there's no way you can learn anything worth anything at a seminar. But by modern man's standards, that is how you tell the serious deshi from the one who's not serious. By ancient man's standards, you're not going to feel the teacher's technique. There's too many people there. And if you did, you're not going to feel it very much. And you're not going to be able to have much time by the teacher to give to you. 
and you will have stopped all your own serious training that was tailored by you to go to this event where you're not going to do that. By ancient man standards, a seminar is at most an interruption in one's real training. But by modern standards, we don't see it that way. And while we dismiss all these invisible things of ages gone past, here we are claiming we're gaining something through some sort of osmosis that we cannot give shape to outside of some paper we receive. some certificate of participation. I mean, who's the fool? So if kokyu is this yang component, then what is the yin component? Well, kokyu, let's say... One can think about it or one can use the metric of force repulsion. A lot of times, Kokyu is cultivated through and measured by a capacity to either withstand force or to project force. And even when it is withstanding force, it's, it is preventing an overtaking of force. And so in some ways, it's trying to keep things apart. Some obvious ones, if I punch you in the face, I want your face to move. If I kick you in the midsection, I don't want you still standing there after I kick you. If I'm doing ikkyo and I'm controlling your wrist and elbow and I take your center, I want your center to move through space. And I'm doing this by, let's say, poorly said, hmm, I'm going to say pushing, but that's not right, but And this kokyu stands in contrast to this same coordination, this same organization of all of these elements that make this kind of force output possible. From a yin perspective, there is a way of uniting or adhering energy, mass, matter, And while somebody who does hundreds of thousands of shoman subudi can get very strong and can use their external isolated muscle groups to meet the force requirements of given Aikido architecture, not only will they exert more energy in doing that, not only will they tend to lose mobility when they do that, but they will never adhere. They will never be able to generate this yin aspect. This aiki. And that brings me to this kind of fourth component I'm just going to mention briefly. If you look at 
an externally swinging of the bulkhead through space along a vertical plane, and Shulman Sabuti becomes a kind of external stress adapter, generating strength, physical strength. If you watch this application of this cultivated aspect throughout time, you will see a decrease in its effectiveness. And you do not see Kokuryoku and its yin component, Aiki, decrease over time. What do I mean? When you see somebody who's just physically strong, they do meet the force requirements of Ikkyo, and usually they will do so until about 50, 60, 70 years old. then they no longer meet the force requirements and now they are in need of an uke who will decrease the force requirement. But if a practitioner did kokyuho in such a way that they gain the awareness and they gain the coordination such that they can Everything is kokyuho. They actually meet the force requirement well into their old age. And there's no requirement on uke to decrease it. So these for me are telltale signs. People that do have these skills will only get more powerful to the subjective observer as they get older. And people who have not will subjectively appear to the observer as less powerful than they used to be. I think we, we're seeing that a lot now. I think we have a lot of Shihan who were once very, very powerful. A lot of senior practitioners once very, very powerful. But we're meeting force requirements externally. And now I'll just look like brittle, frail, old people. So all this said, really to take back my answer I gave to my friend from across the ocean. And to give the one that humans always gave, if you really want to develop this power and define these skills, find someone who has them. Enter into an apprenticeship. You're right in asking because they are important. Because there is that minimum force requirement. And there are these deeper issues of sincerity and integrity. And we will always need help solving them. And so we should always make sure that we're capable of receiving that help.
that are shoshin is not just shoshin, but is hungry shoshin. This concludes this episode of Budo, the Way of the Warrior podcast. For more information, please visit sentiencenter.com. S-E-N-S-H-I-N-C-E-N-T-E-R.com or find us at Facebook at Sension Center and on our YouTube channel at Sension One. Thank you for listening.